for the fact that you are a loving and pursuing God. And that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us. He paid that price so that we, we could have that relationship restored. And God, we know that that kind of love is it's, it's like reckless and wasteful, but you extend that to each and every one of us. And I just pray that you'll give us a new awareness of that incredible love today. Father, we're, we're in the middle of just craziness. It just gets crazier every week, it seems like, just so many things. And I just pray, God, this morning that you would encourage us, lift our spirits. We can look at all the circumstances and we can say, oh, man, things are going, going really badly. Or we can look at you and say, wow, isn't this amazing? God's in control. And we have nothing to worry about. That you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And we focus our eyes on you today. Father, we are here today to focus on you, the living God. You are the one who's alive and, and in control. And I pray, Lord, as we take our eyes off all the circumstances and all the things in our personal lives and in the life of our country, the state, whatever, and we begin to focus on you, that you would help us to, to realize that that you are there to be praised and worshipped and we can adore you and, and we have nothing, nothing to fear. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would lift our spirits today, that you would take our praises and, and our worship today and that you be glorified. And as we look at your word, the living word of God, that you would change our lives today because we've been here together or we've heard the message online or whatever it is, Lord. So we just... We just pray for that now. We just pray that your presence would cover this, this entire property, this parking lot, the houses around here, and all of us here in the sanctuary this morning. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just a reminder, so in case anybody has any questions, um, if if you if you're in here in this in this sanctuary, coming into the building, feel free to wear a mask or not wear a mask. This it's not it's it's optional. Basically, we're trying to provide opportunities for those that are uh, wanting to be socially distanced in the parking lot. Some stay home still. Some listen on FM broadcast in the parking lot. Some come inside and. Uh, we just believe everybody can make their choice and decide what's safe for you and your family and make decisions for your health. So just a review for that. It's not fair. It's not fair. How many of you have ever said that? It's not fair. Anybody say that? Okay, I'm in good company. My hand's up. Every one of us has a sense of what is fair, what is right and, and what is just. We all grew up with a sense of what fairness was and what justice was. And we live in a country today that stands for justice or equality. As children, we learned the Pledge of Allegiance, which states, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Justice for all. Equality for all. I grew up thinking that justice was an inherent right. We all had liberty, freedom, and we all had justice. Life was fair. But as I grew older, 
I began to experience life as it truly was. I discovered things are not always fair. I experienced things that were not fair, inequities and injustice, events that turn people's lives upside down, circumstances beyond their control. On paper, in our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, ideally, life is fair. We live in the most incredible nation on earth. But laws always have a human involved in the process. It's that human element, I guess. I don't know. And the playing field was not always level. Some had advantages, some had disadvantages. And I soon discovered that life was imperfect and life was not always fair. And as we go through our lives, our eyes are opened and almost every one of us have said at one time or another, as you all acknowledged, it's not fair. It's not fair. Well, we're in a series in the life of Joseph, the, the making of a leader. Last week, we looked at three tests of character, and today, kind of more tests. We're going to look at injustice. We're going to look at the it's not fair in the life of Joseph. It's not fair. The injustices, then we're going to look at the natural responses, and then we're going to look at the spiritual responses. And hopefully, we will discover how injustice plays a role in the development of our character and prepares us for what God has in front of us. Today, it's not fair. The way up is down. I'd like you to turn with me to Genesis 40. Genesis 40 is on page 34, if you're looking for it in the Bible in the rack in front of you. Genesis 40, page 34. And uh, let's look at it. It's not fair. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in the prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there was no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its cluster ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had been given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. 
He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to him, them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Let's start today talking about the injustices that Joseph experienced. The inju- and, and then see if, see if you can identify with some of the injustices. First injustice he experienced in this whole story was betrayal. Betrayal. In chapter 37, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, his own family. And you know, betrayal can only happen when there is first trust. You have to have trust first. There has to be a relationship. Joseph trusted and his brothers betrayed him. Many of you may remember the the story of Aldrich Ames. Aldrich Ames was a CIA analyst for the U.S. government. And Ames was entrusted with many secrets in the CIA. And once trusted, he then betrayed his country by giving those secrets to the Soviet Union. Those secrets given to the Soviet Union cost the lives of many Americans and irreparably damaged our country. See, there's trust first, then betrayal. There's no betrayal without trust. And that's why betrayal is so heinous. It's it's so awful. And the question, have, have you ever been betrayed by somebody you trusted? Have you ever been betrayed? A business partner, maybe a close friend, a husband or wife, a parent, a child, a sibling, a relative? Betrayal is especially painful because betrayal requires trust first. One definition of betrayal is to seduce and then desert. Seduce, then desert. There's there always seems to be an innocence on the part of the one betrayed, and it's not fair. Have you ever been betrayed? The second injustice was false accusation. False accusation. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of attempted rape. And he didn't commit that, and by doing the right thing and saying no, Joseph was punished. Doing right carried very real consequences that were not fair. Not fair. A false accusation can ruin a life. It can destroy a reputation. I had an uncle who worked for many years in a state government. It wasn't Wisconsin. It was another state. It was Oregon, I'll tell you. It was Oregon. He observed corruption and immorality in his office, and it was very serious. And in good conscience, he decided, since he was aware of the problem, he needed to confront it. So he blew the whistle. He blew the, now, back then, there were no protections for whistleblowers. My uncle did the right thing for the good of everyone, the government, the taxpayers, and the state. And what happened to my uncle? In retaliation, his boss fired him falsely accused him before his superiors. Because of his righteous actions, his right actions, he was falsely accused, and he was blacklisted, and he could not find a job anywhere. Literally. Have you ever experienced a false accusation? By the way, if you ever hear someone else accused of something, we owe it to God and to that person, the accused, to check it out, make sure you get all the facts. Don't assume a false accusation is true if you hear something. 
check it out, make sure it's true. False accusation. We have that on occasion. Thirdly, Joseph was unjustly punished, unjustly punished. On the basis of this false accusation, Joseph was unpunished, he was punished unjustly and thrown into prison. What freedom he had gained was taken away. Now, we don't realize how priceless freedom is until it's been taken away. We experience a little bit of that with the restrictions that we're experiencing in our country today, but until we experience freedom taken away, we don't really appreciate it very much. But many people experience injustice. One of the most helpful tools of exoneration today is DNA evidence. I read a story a week about someone who's been set free because the DNA, DNA evidence exonerated them from an unjust accusation. Have you ever been unjustly punished? Maybe not for a, a crime or paying time in prison. Maybe you're left with all the bills after a business went sour and your, your partner just skates away. Maybe you're the one everyone ostracizes because of your friend's accusation against you. Maybe you're the one the family won't talk with because you're presumed guilty until presumed and proven innocent. Maybe you're the one that's blamed for the breakup of the marriage, even though you wanted to work things out. Maybe you're the victim of vicious gossip that destroyed your name. It's not fair. It's not fair. You're blamed for something that is not your fault, and you get punished by it. It's just not fair. When I taught music school, school of music in uh, North Dakota, it was back in my 20s, not the 1920s, my, 20, my 20s, I'm not that old. I had, I had in my place two identical black cats. Now, I, I, I grew up with dogs, okay? And if you're a dog lover, I, I hated cats. I just did not like cats. But I had a problem. In my mobile home, which was at the edge of town, there was this field and field mice liked to make their way into my, my mobile home. And so I had mice, and the last straw was one ran over my face in the middle of the night. I said, that's it? Well, I had a friend that, that bred cats. He lived on a farm not far, and they bred cats. And he said, why don't you, he said, why don't I give you a cat? And I said, I hate cats. He said, well, why don't you just try this? And he said, if you're going to have one, you might as well have two. So I said, okay. So these were pure black cats. They were supposed to be Siamese and something else happened, but they were pure black cats and he gave them to me. So I had these cats. So I actually came to love and understand my cats. They were very different in personality. Those of you that know cats, yeah, you love cats and there's some really interesting things about cats. Very unique in personalities. And I, and I named my cats after music composers. I was a music teacher, so I named them after music composers. One was named Franz Joseph Haydn. And the other one uh, was a classical composer. And then Isaac Hayes, who was a contemporary jazz writer and artist. And my cats were very mischievous, as you can imagine. And in order to discipline them, keep order, there were times I spanked them on their butt. You know, okay. I know animal rights activists think that's terrible, but I was going to keep, it was my house. I was going to keep order. Now, their primary sin was clawing my couch. Now, I... I only had one nice piece of furniture in my house, and it was a couch, and they would just And one morning, I'm, I'm standing there, and they're both kind of crouching. You, you can kind of tell when they're getting ready to do something. Their tails go And so I could tell something was up. They both looked at me, 
and they went, whoosh, both of them, and, then it, and they took off. Well, in the chase that ensued, I spanked three cats. One of them got it. I hope, hope one didn't get it all three times. But I, I spanked three cats to make sure I got them because they were all over the house. I had to uh, confine one. But anyway, um, one was unjustly punished twice. And it wasn't fair. I know that. It wasn't fair. And by the way, of course, I never saw another mouse in my, unless it was in the mouth of the cat that was, you know, um, consuming it. Sorry, lunch is a little ways away. You'll be, you'll be okay. But unjustly punished. It, it's just not fair. And we experience that kind of things. Unjust punishment. Then Joseph, number four, was forgotten. So he was betrayed, falsely accused, unjustly punished. Now he's forgotten. Joseph, it says, was forgotten by the cupbearer he had helped. He was forgotten by Potiphar, whom he had faithfully served. And perhaps he was forgotten by his own family, thinking he was dead. One interesting scholar, one scholar said, interestingly, Potiphar uh, put Joseph in the prison where the king's prisoners were kept, which um, he was not put to death, which probably says that Potiphar knew his wife was not totally innocent. But that's, that's another story. But what did Joseph gain for his integrity? One step forward, two steps back. All of his injustices were the result of someone else's actions or because he did the right thing. And it's just not fair. Not fair. Do you ever feel forgotten? Do you ever feel just just forgotten? No one remembers. You fall into the cracks. As, As far as everyone else is concerned, you just no longer exist. What is Joseph going to do? How in the world is this preparing him to be a leader? And what should we do? Well, let's start with the natural responses. Natural responses. In the natural, in and of ourselves, in the flesh, these are the things that we want to do. And it's good to know what we want to do so we can deal with it. First of all, natural responses to injustice. It's not fair. First of all is anger. Anger. Hurt produces anger. There's something inside all of us that becomes angry at injustice, especially if it's, if, if it's me, punished and not deserving it. One of the ups and downs of discipline and parenting, I don't know if you've ever made a mistake. I've made a mistake once in a while. One or two maybe. I don't know. Probably a lot more than that. We, we commit injustices because we're human. Anger is the first response. And there's no record of Joseph responding in anger. The second response is self-defense. When I'm betrayed, falsely accused, unjustly punished, my first reaction is to defend myself. And there's no record that Joseph tried to defend himself either. Only his requests in verse 14 to 15 that when he does assert his innocence to the cupbearer, and the cupbearer says, yeah, I've never met a guilty person in prison. You know how that goes. But we don't hear excuses. We don't hear reasons. We don't hear counterclaims or accusations of other, other people. The third natural response is vindictiveness. I'll get even. (laughs) I'll get even. I'll prove my innocence. Now, if you look at the entertainment industry, it's full of revenge, vengeance films. Okay? You read the trailer, you see it. Some horrible thing happens to someone. The rest of the film is about getting even. And at the end, they blow the person, a guilty person away, and everybody cheers in, in the theater. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's shocking. Why do they cheer? Because justice has been served. The question is, who's justice? Who's justice? 
The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And we say, let me help. We want to help. The fourth natural response to it's not fear is placing the blame. Find someone to blame. It wasn't my fault. It was his. It was hers. It was theirs. Or it was God's fault. Playing the victim. Fifth, self-pity. Feeling sorry for ourselves. Thinking, what good is it to do the right thing? And I'm sure that Joseph must have said this over and over again. What good did it do me to do the right thing? Complaining. Is complaining okay? Didn't the psalmist David complain? Yeah, he, he complained to God, and that's, that's okay. I, I, does anybody else complain to God? Just wanting to make sure. Yeah, I, I do it on occasion. I complain to God. He hasn't killed me yet. He, we, we complain to God. He hears us. He understands. He complained. Joseph did not complain. The sixth natural response may be the most destructive. It's discouragement or depression. Discouragement or depression. Asking the question, what happened to my great dreams? The, the dreams of my youth. Discouragement and disappointment. And alone. I can hear Joseph say, life is not what it's cracked up to me. My dad told me I could be anything, even prime minister. And where am I? In a dungeon. Has God forsaken me? Has my father forgotten me? Do my brothers even think of me? They will soon. Was he destined to spend the rest of his life ruined in a dungeon? All because he had obeyed his father to visit his brothers. All because he refused the adulteress's advances. Just imagine what Joseph was thinking. Now some of you here this morning may be stuck in Genesis chapter 40 of your life. Saying that sounds kind of like where I'm at. I'm kind of in chapter 40. It's not fair. It's not fair. Common to every one of us experiencing that it's not fair. In life, it only makes sense when you look at it backwards, but we have to live it forward. Now I'm stuck in the natural responses is what we looked at. But that's not how Joseph responded. Okay? That's, that's like the wrong way to do it. Okay? Let's look at what Joseph, what does he do? And what can we do when it's not fair? What can we do? What can we learn from this? Spiritual responses, number three. First of all, letter A, hang on to the revelation of God. Hang on to the revelation of God. What do I mean by that? God had spoken very clearly to Joseph on at least two occasions. As a young man, he had two dreams. And at this point, that's all Joseph could hang on to. He had nothing else but God and God's revelation. What revelation of God do we have to hang on to? You see, I don't have dreams. I just have nightmares. Okay, that, that, that may be true. What is the revelation of God? God speaks through dreams. God speaks directly. But the most common way God speaks to us in revelation is through the Word of God, the Bible. God's Word to us. It's His revelation to us. The Psalms say things like, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my portion. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Hope. God's revelation gives hope. If there's one thing in common that I hear from everybody today, 
they don't know when this pandemic is going to end. They, you know, it's like, where's the hope? Are we going to have any hope? Is it going to change? Is it going back to normal, whatever normal is? And, and there's this, this pessimistic outlook instead of hope. Well, if you look at the circumstances, that's where you're going to end up. Look at the revelation of God and get hope. God's revelation gives us hope. Now, what is hope? What is hope? We use that word. Jerome Grootman, who's a professor at Harvard Medical School, had been taking care of patients with cancer, blood diseases, and AIDS, all of them reeling from the emotional shock of their diagnosis. And he was mulling over the conversations he had with these patients one day on a walk. And he realized that they were all looking for the exact same thing. They were looking for hope. And he said, indeed, that hope was as important to them as anything he might prescribe as a physician. It's as important that they have hope as that they have the right prescription. So he went on to write a book called The Anatomy of Hope. And he said this in a conversation that Rachel Sobel said in an interview. He said, it's ironic. The word so commonly used and it's something we have all experienced, yet it's very difficult to define. He said, I searched and searched. Basically, he said, I think hope is the ability to see a path to the future. Hope is the ability to see a path to the future. He says it has two components. One is the cognitive part. One is the feeling part. The cognitive part is you're facing dire circumstances and you need to know everything that's blocking or threatening you. Then you see a path or a potential path to get where you want to go. Once you see that, there's a tremendous emotional lift that occurs. And with it, he says, there's actual neurochemical and biological changes. Wow. There's the feeling part. The logical part, the feeling part. He ends the article in saying, but we still come back to this profound human need to believe that there is a possibility to reach a future that is better than the one in the present. A road to the present, hope, and the revelation of God, not the circumstances, not our past, not our present, nothing. The revelation of God is what gives us hope, a path to the future. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope. Hebrews 12, 5-6 says, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. God's role is as, as our Father. God's love giving hope. Character development. Sometimes the way up is, is down. Hang on to the revelation of God, no matter where you are. And God may have given you a dream, a, a life dream, a, a vision. Confirm it, hope for it, and hang on to God's revealed truth. His revelation. 
Joseph's second response to injustice is humility. Humility, letter B. What does Joseph do? In the middle of totally despairing circumstances, he serves the other prisoners. I find that very instructive. In the, the middle of his injustice, he humbles himself and serves. One of the best ways to get over our hurts is to pour ourselves selflessly into the lives of others. Takes a, my focus off of me and places it on others. A healing flow of God's grace moves through us to others. And it actually heals us too. It's amazing. What else did Joseph do? He, there was submission to God. Joseph submitted himself to God and God's plan. He didn't understand. He had limited knowledge. He only knew the past and the now. He had a dream that was future, but he had to live now. I believe that he knew someday his entire family would bow down to him. They would be reunited. He didn't know the immediate future. Just like we don't know the immediate future. He only had a glimpse of how it would end someday. So he submitted himself to God for the time he didn't know. Can you find it possible in your it's not fairs to submit to God? To trust the plan? To trust the plan? We don't know the future, only the past and now. God, do whatever you want to do with me. Finally, we find in Joseph, in the middle of it's not fairs, letter D, reliance on God's presence. Reliance on God's presence. Verse 39 says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. That's, that's all that mattered. God, God's here. God is here. did not matter what he was going through as long as God, as long as God was there. I was five years old, and we were missionaries in, a, in Japan on a summer vacation break in a small cabin on the mountainside of a place called Nojiri. About a mile down a steep, winding dirt path, there was a lake called Lake Nojiri. On Sunday nights, as a family, we would attend a, a small wood-framed church that was located right by the lake. And one Sunday night, as the service came to a close, a terrific, violent thunderstorm struck. It brought thunder, lightning, torrential rains, and powerful winds. And I was terrified. My father and mother had to get three of us kids back to the cabin in total dark through the storm with one flashlight. I will never forget the trauma of that journey. The dirt path was a stream of mud and rock. We were soaked to the bone in seconds. The lightning was terrifying. It was so dark we couldn't see. We slipped and slid and fell. But one thing I remember most vividly about this most terrifying event of my young life, my father never once let go of my hand. Some of you are in a storm right now. Some of you are in a dungeon of sorts. Not of your making or, or choosing. But at this point, remember that God is hanging onto your hand. God is hanging onto your hand. It's his presence. It's relying on God's presence. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord himself goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. God's presence, God's person. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I don't, I don't know that God personally. You can today. If you want to know God personally, you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins and to come into your heart and life, you can do that today. Because he's there with open arms saying, I want to know you. We sang about it, the, the pursuing God who will go to incredible lengths to reach us. At the bottom of the page in the program, in the outline, there's ecwesleyan.net backslash next. And if you want to know more about that, feel free to go on there. You can email or call any one of the staff if you have questions. But if you've never gotten to know Jesus personally, that invitation is there for you today. And if you're in a situation of it's not fair, and many of you may be, it's not fair. Hang on to the presence of God. Rely on his presence because he will never let you go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't varnish the truth. You don't tell the, all the good of, of heroes and just all the successes and, and all, the, all the good things. You talk about the tough times. And I thank you that your word gives it to us honest, gives it to us straight. And I pray, Lord, that whatever you want to do in, in the hearts and lives of everybody here, in the hearing of my voice, whether it's online, whether it's in the parking lot here in the sanctuary, one of the houses surrounding our parking lot, whatever it is, you are here. Your presence is here with us. And I pray that you would speak to your people and encourage them. And you will never let us go. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?